Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. As many of you know, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and today we have a special guest, Alice Moon, her older brother, Peter, and her boyfriend, Devin, on the podcast. Alice is a 26-year-old female who was recently diagnosed with breast cancer during summer of 2019, and today we get to hear her and her family's perspective on diagnosis, treatment, and other things related to breast cancer. Enjoy. Welcome to the Medicus podcast. We have a special guest, Alice Moon, her boyfriend, Devin, and her brother, Peter. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Hello. Thank you for having us. Hi. Mm -hmm. So Alice was diagnosed with breast cancer uh, how long ago? Uh, In July, so not too long ago. July, okay. Yeah, and how old are you right now? 26. 26. Uh, that, and I think many of our listeners would think that, you know, breast cancer is something that someone who might be a little older would go with. And I think most of our listeners wouldn't think that you would have to worry about breast cancer when you're 26. And so, Alice, can you introduce yourself? Yeah. So, my name is Alice. Um, I am... 26 years old. I currently work at a beverage company as a project manager. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I studied food science in my undergrad and my master's. Okay. Um, and then I live here in the Chicagoland area uh, with my family. Anything oh. else? Um, <laughs> Devin, uh, how about you? What do you do? Uh, so I'm 23, currently unemployed, but staying with Alice right now, taking care of her. Uh, That's nice. Yeah. That's nice. And Peter? What am I doing? Um, I'm uh, currently a full-time student at Rush University, uh, getting a bachelor's in health sciences. And <clears throat> I just work part-time at a restaurant, at a ramen restaurant to Devinston. And uh, there's not much else to me, I guess. Um yeah, I'm just her older brother. <laughs> All right. Um, that's great. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of things that our listeners would like to hear. Let's just kind of start the story with Alice about, so how, how did everything start? What, what was it like in the beginning? Yeah, so I, you know, nothing was really different in my life. Everything was normal. I was working. Um, you know, I was one year into my job, and so... Uh, and going from studenthood to being a working full-time working adult, I now have healthcare insurance, and oh. I'm wanting to take advantage of that because I'm paying for it, you know. Right, right. Um, and so, you know, thought I'd go to go set up my first annual appointments with mm-hmm. my PCPs, my OBGYN, mm-hmm. and then trying to be you know a responsible adult. I was like, yeah. oh, I should come in with, you know, lists of you know, concerns and how I'm doing. And so, uh-huh. um, you know, one of the things for women to do is a self breast exam. Mm-hmm. And so I did it and I was like, Oh, you know, I've never actually done this. And there are some lumps in there. Um, mm-hmm. but I WebMD did it very quickly. Um, <laughs> WebMD can definitely lead you down that, like, like that spiral, right. you know, like dark spiral of, right. and you're like, worried oh. about having everything. Yeah. Like, and like one of the big things is like, you have breast cancer. Right. I'm like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> but you know, I knew that like, um, with breast cancer, like, or with WebMD that, you know, I could take you to the most extreme cases. So I was like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, it's probably not that big of a deal. I'll just bring it mm-hmm. up to my PCP. Mm-hmm. And so we did a self or we did a breast exam there. And she's like, you know, 
a lot of times lumps happen. It's normal. Right. right. Um, this could be a cyst. It could be just like mm-hmm. dense tissue. Mm-hmm. And you we don't want to go to the worst case scenario first, right? No, but right. then um, she saw my level of occurrence there and she's like, well, we can get an ultrasound. Okay. Um, so I scheduled an ultrasound because I was had a busy schedule at work and typically appointments don't happen like outside of nine to five. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me about two weeks to get an appointment mm-hmm. for my ultrasound. But as soon as I got my ultrasound, um, you know, we were looking at it and then we see... When you look at the ultrasound live, um, you see mm-hmm. like a few things glowing up. So the first things we saw were, it kind of looked like snow scattered across my right breast. Okay. Um, and that snow, the ultrasound techn- technician was telling me is typically calcification. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's usually precancer mm-hmm. um, cursors. Mm-hmm. And so we looked around a little more and we saw like a giant like golf ball looking mm-hmm. glow. Um, and then that I pointed out, I was like, what is that? And the technician's not technically not supposed to tell me anything. She's like, right. oh, we got to call in the radiologist. Um, and so from that, from like her love, from like how concerned she kind of looked, I was like, oh, shoot, what the heck is going on? Yeah. So the radiologist came in and was like, you know, we can't tell until we have a biopsy, but it, mm-hmm. you have a lot of precancerous um, symptoms. And so at that time, my cousin was visiting in town, so she was waiting you know, she took me to my ultrasound and she was waiting for me. I told her, I was like, oh, it's going to take about 10 minutes to do a quick ultrasound, come out, make sure I'm healthy. Mm-hmm. But I was in there for like an hour and a half and my oh. cousin, poor cousin was sitting in the waiting room like, <laughs> what the heck is happening? Um, and so, yeah, so radiologist comes in and he tells me like, well, these are the things that it could be. Mm-hmm. Lists off cysts, dense, you know, breast tissue, all these things. And he's like, and there's a small chance it could be cancer, but you're so young. Mm-hmm. You know, very low chances. Mm. Um, and so we do, get... Do they up. give you any, like, specific percentages? No? They, they did, just, but I okay. don't remember. They okay. give me a whole packet. Right. And so they would think that, oh, you're 26 mm-hmm. by then, and it's just, like, probably not cancer. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so they said, a lot of things are like, we can't be sure until we get mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada tests. Mm-hmm. Um Right after the ultrasound, we went to the to get a mammogram, mm. and the mammogram showed up like the exact same same things: precancers, mm-hmm. cursors everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so, the radiologist was like, "You know, I think we should take a biopsy mm. just to be sure." Mm. Um, so we scheduled for a biopsy. We scheduled for me to meet with the surgical oncologist. Mm. And so when we did that, I was like, "Whoa, isn't that yeah?" Things the are gun esca- a bit? escalating really quickly. Yeah. And so I was like, "Aren't we jumping the gun a little bit mm-hmm. by meeting a surgical oncologist?" They're like, "No, just like you know, it's precautionary, um, just to talk because they are the experts in it." Right. So, um, yeah. So I scheduled the surgical oncologist, and when I met with her, you know, she took her measurements mm-hmm. and you know felt around, and mm-hmm. you know also said we can't, you know like determine anything until the biopsy came out. So it was a waiting mm-hmm. game at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Um, and they initially told me that it would take two days, right. but then for some reason it took four days and wow. I was freaking out during those four days because I'm like, you know, if it was a healthy, clean result, right. like they should tell me right away. Right. Um, but then I remember I took the biopsy on a Monday and then I got my results on a Friday. Oh, wow, that took a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so on Friday, the surgical oncologist called me. I came home from work. I was like, oh, it's summertime, so I'm going to go outside and (laughs) tan and, you know, just relax and not minding any of my, you know, not minding like anything. There are like no worries in my world at that point. But then I got my biopsy results and she's like, hey, like, 
we're going to need to schedule you to come in on Monday. And I'm like, so I'm assuming biopsy results came in. She's like, yes. And it shows very positive cancer. So um, it shows the different biomarkers from the biopsy results. Mm -hmm. There were estrogen. So my results came out 99% or greater or 90% or greater estrogen receptor positive Mm -hmm. um, progesterone response or progesterone receptor positive and then zero percent her too which is good mm-hmm. so that means i'm hormone positive right, right. receptor positive overall right. um and then it also showed that i was grade three which is okay. the most aggressive it's one out of three mm-hmm. um and then it also showed that it was invasive ductal carcinoma mm-hmm. so that's where we got like the specific diagnosis i guess and the grade of aggressiveness just goes from one to three, yes. right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you just had the most aggressive ones? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Uh, just kind of backtracking a little bit. Uh, from the time you said from PCP to getting ultrasound, that mm-hmm. took two weeks, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then for your biopsy result to come back, it took you from Monday through Friday, so yes. like four days. Mm-hmm. Um, how long did it take from when you first went to PCP2, when you actually got the diagnosis that you... So I would say about like three weeks at that point. Three weeks? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And and were you ever... Um, I know you say you did a lot of WebMD searches. Um, how long have you noticed the lump in your breast? Never noticed it until about like a week before uh-huh. my PCP appointment. Right. When I was saying okay. like, you know, yeah, trying to so check myself out. Yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, I'd never done it officially before like I just I saw like an Instagram story at some point mm-hmm. and I was like oh you know look out for you know like girls breast cancer awareness right like, make sure you check yourself and that's what prompted me to actually do the check um and so yeah I just I like looked up just how to do it on wiki how and then, yeah. <laughs> um, but then at that point like I didn't understand what exactly I was supposed to look for. Like I knew there was supposed to be like soft tissue, no lumps. And yeah, so it was really hard to determine on my own. That's why like a lot of people I talk to, they always ask like, what does it feel like? How do you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like for everyone it's different. Mm -hmm. Just like if something changes or if there's like a harder lump or anything, that should be cause a red flag. Yeah. Um, But yeah. So overall, it was just like indeterminate on my end. But then, and even like my PCPs, like you can't tell for sure just by feeling it. So until that we get like that mammogram and ultrasound and and the the biopsy. biopsy. Mm -hmm. Were you with anyone uh, when you were actually getting the diagnosis from the oncologist? Called MJ, my brother-in-law. MJ is the brother-in-law, your older sister's husband. Husband, yeah. So my brother-in-law, MJ... He's a nurse. Mm, um, okay. And so when I talked to my surgical oncologist, I called him right away. Mm. Um, and yeah, so he kind of walked me through like what things would look like. Mm-hmm. And I guess like I wasn't as concerned because I talked to him because he's like, you really don't know. Right. Um, but just having like a medical right. you know, contact. Because the people. oncologist called you, but he didn't really give you the diagnosis. He mm-hmm. just said you should come and set up an appointment yeah. to come in and so when you got that call like did you really think it was breast cancer did you have that inkling uh for my surgical oncologist yeah uh i had a feeling yeah it was okay yeah and then that prompted but... you to call your brother-in-law yeah um and then he just really guided you through that mm-hmm. okay 
on the day that my surgical oncologist called, I finally called my sister. I initially told him not to tell my sister. Um, so yeah, so what happened is I called my brother-in-law when my, when I met with my surgical oncologist, told him not to tell anyone. Cause mm. I was like, I don't want to raise any flags. I just right. want to know what I should know or what I should research. Right. Um, and then finally when the biopsy results came in, you know, I called my sister cause I was like, I need emotional support right now right. not just like medical guidance. Um, so yeah, so that's when like reality slowly started to hit and mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, like you never think that you're a cancer patient right. until like now it still didn't even seem real. I was like, hey, maybe they could have messed up my results, mm-hmm. but I was still like, you know, emotionally overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also reached out to, cause I needed someone with more context. And so there's someone at my church mm-hmm. that also works at the hospital that I was being seen at. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also was on different community, like, like fundraisers, like cancer communities and okay, all. Okay. Um, and so he has experience with not only the medical end of it, but then like logistically what to do and insurances right. and all. Right. Um, am I allowed to say his name? I mean, you can. Okay. Well, his name's Jay. Okay. Um, so Jay. Hi, Jay. <laughs> so um, Jay goes to my church and Jay walked me through on the very first day I got diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, he walked me through just like logistics, what to think about with mm-hmm. insurance. Mm-hmm you know, to save all my information, like all the after um, visit summaries and Mm. um, results and everything. Mm. So we have that saved in the file somewhere, Mm. Um, all my bills. Right. um, Yeah. And then just like walked me through like the support that I'll need. Mm -hmm. He's like, you know, it might get difficult here and here and here. So it was really nice having that. Like, I don't think a lot of people are fortunate to have someone that has an all encapsulative Right, who person. works in the uh, healthcare field and yeah. who knows what to do, who exactly. kind of helps you to walk mm-hmm. all these logistical things. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the important part about healthcare field is when you get diagnosed with something chronic or something, mm-hmm. uh, something like cancer, right? Uh, you don't really get a chance to, to kind of take in everything and look at it from a calm situation, especially if you're the patient, mm-hmm. because you have all these emotional things going through you, right? And so kind of transitioning to Peter, uh, when did he find out? Yeah, so I told, um, my family was actually getting together that following weekend in mm-hmm. Champaign where my sister lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is the first time our whole family got together in a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I made it a point to make an announcement mm-hmm. at that time that we... You know, as a family together, I don't want to tell them individually or on the phone, like mm-hmm. we were together. So we had right. each other as emotional support. Right. Um, so after dinner, we were enjoying everything. Um, and I announced that to my whole family, mm-hmm. you know, guys, I'm sorry to tell you, but, you know, I got diagnosed with breast cancer and we're mm-hmm. going through tests to figure out the staging and the diagnosis of it, the, you know, complete diagnosis of it. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents initially thought it was a joke because I was like oh, smiling and yeah. I was telling the story or, you know, sharing the news with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it took them a while to kind of like understand what exactly was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I don't know, Peter, what did you think from your perspective? Um, well, uh, I actually didn't learn that at that family gathering. You actually called me um, a few days prior to that happened. Oh, um, but okay. yeah, um, there was a. I remember actually you first called me. Um, I think on a particular evening when I was at a gathering with other friends and I remember I told you, Hey, um, I'm at a party. What's up? And, um, you said, Oh, nothing. Uh, but I 
had a hint that you know something was up um i don't want to jump to a conclusion right away but i, I knew i just had um a pretty bad feeling as to you know what the news was and i think he told me the next day and um we the what did i feel i think um i just tried to uh, well keep my head up and think all right well we need a lot more information as to like you know what exactly is going on how to move forward um because i don't want to i don't know freak out and jump to any conclusions i kept thinking all right let's wait for um, I guess more information. Let's hear what medical professionals had to say, and um, let's just make the smart decisions here. Um, I don't want to do anything brash per se, but um, I, I, I guess I will get into this later. But I almost got pressured into, I don't know, rushing into, I guess, premature ke- chemotherapy or doing right. treatments that um, would have been too soon if we just said, just do it now, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And, We'll touch on that in a little bit, but yeah, I remember um, at that family meeting, uh, the once uh, we all realized that oh my God, Alice has breast cancer. Um, the immediate reaction was that we all wanted to help as much as we could. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, <laughs> I think it was at at least my mom, my, at least my mom, but mo- both our parents. But they were just trying to like give advice right away, like oh like you know these food's really good at helping like you know staying healthy and stuff like that and Mm. there's this and this and that you can do but it was all i think kind of a reaction to um very overwhelming news you know like what are you supposed to do like uh you know this is uh like what can you do uh you want to do everything you can um you really really um almost feel powerless and you want to compensate for that as much as you can but Mm -hmm. um yeah, F, F, and uh, after that, you know, uh, we uh, we just tried to process everything as much as we could, and um, yeah, the following days, things would get a little bit more, I guess, more tense. Yeah, it was a lot to navigate all at once, but yeah. That's yeah, it, it must be hard because yeah. um, Alice is the youngest of mm-hmm. three, right? And yeah. So you wouldn't really expect the youngest to be diagnosed with cancer and not only the youngest um alice is undeniably i think the healthiest out of all of us well Mm. eileen is really healthy too but um (laughs) well because um i just think about the fact that you know we you know our older sister my younger sister and i you know out of all three of us i would say i probably practice the most um uh unsavory habits habits (laughs) as in you know i like to drink quite a bit but um (laughs) i was i was just thinking you know of all people why did it have to be Alice? Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, she didn't, she never really did anything risky growing up or, um, was never really irresponsible at all. Mm-hmm. She wasn't really that type. She ate really well. Like, so I, I think, uh, that was the biggest part that confused me. Like of all people to get cancer, like it, it probably should have been me if anything. So I'm like thinking, why Alice, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty much how I felt. Yeah. And uh, and you're trying to be as supportive as you can as a family and trying to bring the family together. And so for Devin, uh, when when did you find out about this? Uh, <clears throat> so at that time, I knew they were having a family dinner, but I didn't think much of it because at that time I didn't know anything. Uh-huh. And uh, the next morning, Alice uh, asked to get uh, breakfast and... For the past couple of weeks, I knew she was getting tests done, 
and she like explained to me just a little bit like what kind of tests but I didn't think much of it because I mean <laughs> like how like I couldn't even imagine like Alice getting cancer like that wasn't even like like uh say that wasn't even like I didn't even know that was possible like at right, that it age it didn't cross your mind yeah right? yeah. yeah not at all and uh like Alice doesn't fit the criteria yeah you know? exactly so like, yeah like, um, like athletic and like healthy eating and like so I didn't like I didn't think that at all but that morning when we got uh breakfasts uh yeah she broke the news to me and uh yeah that I think yeah that was the day after the whole family uh gathered to eat together and like when she like broke the news to her family so the morning after yeah i i heard about it and and how so you guys were just eating both by yourselves right yeah uh, breakfast uh how how'd you feel when you heard the news uh initially i was like no there's gotta be a mistake i'm pretty sure like something like was wrong with the tests but uh, i think the more i thought about it like um i think it was just a complete shock at that time just Mm -hmm. because i it came out of nowhere Mm -hmm. and like at that time i was just like riding through the summer like i was on campus and i was just relaxing job searching and like Mm -hmm. uh hanging out with friends and like serving at my church and i think just that came out of the blue like and i i think because it was like just so unexpected it was just a huge shock factor. And so for Alice, you graduated. And so you you guys both went to University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. And mm-hmm. so Devin was on campus in Champaign. And you actually moved to Chicago. Mm-hmm, a right? year prior. So right. we were doing a year of long-distance relationship. Mm-hmm. For Devin, did you have to take extra considerations for your future upon hearing the news? Yes, I definitely did. And... uh I think once like the the shock just went away I think when I digested everything mm-hmm. I tried to think of what I could do to help her and at that time I kind of basically dropped a lot of what I was doing and I moved back to the Chicagoland area mm-hmm. and yeah I've been helping her ever since then yeah so I was in Champaign during when I found out i was in champagne and then yeah i just quickly moved back to chicago to help her out okay and that's that's very sweet of you (laughs) Um, i I think it just happened to work out because i was job searching for a while until then Mm -hmm. and i also uh, was considering grad school but i never uh actually i i was accepted into grad school Mm -hmm. but i decided not to do it that year Mm -hmm. and it just somehow everything worked out so that I could come back uh, to Chicago to help her out. And, I mean, for Alice, when you have all these support around you, I, I'm sure that, like, the support really helped, right? Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. Is, is there anything else, like, other forms of support that you received? What about your friends? Mm-hmm. When did you tell your friends? Yeah, I slowly started telling my friends one by one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because my core group of girlfriends, I told them all individually except for one girl. Um, <laughs> she was she had just gotten married the oh. Saturday before I got um, I got all my or I got my like ultrasound and right. all that. Um, 
And so she was actually on her honeymoon. Oh. And so I told all my friends not to say anything until she got back. Oh. Um, but the funny thing is, like, she had a feeling that something was off wow. while she was on her honeymoon. And then, wow. um, you know, they had some downtime and then right, right. we ended up FaceTiming. And then I was like, well, I told her, I was like, don't call me until you're, you land in Chicago. Yeah. I want to talk to you then. Yeah. Um, but she's like, no, I don't care. Like, you're going to tell me now. Um, mm. She was actually packing up to go to the airport mm. um, in Bali. Mm. So, uh, that's know. a good friend right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she would not let me hang up. Um, mm. But then, yeah, I told her, and so we were like crying on FaceTime together. Mm. Um, but then, yeah, as soon as I told her, me and my girlfriends, we created a group chat, mm-hmm. um, and they were such a strong support system. I think just like. I would just share like really intimate like fears and insecurities at that time mm-hmm. and they would you know they're like my girlfriends yeah, and they'd yeah. back me up and <laughs> um yeah no having them because a lot of all of them actually moved back to the Chicago area this year okay. um so yeah having them all here was so helpful mm. um yeah and I feel like they you know even though they don't fully understand what I'm going through mm-hmm. um you know I know that they are always reaching out to me, always wanting to support me, always like looking out for ways that they can help. Yeah, they've been exceptional and like going above and beyond to help me out. Mm. Mm-hmm. And from my knowledge, one of your friend is a nurse. Yeah. Is that correct? And yeah. so she, did she also help you out with all the logistics and going through kind of the healthcare process? Yeah, so um, my friend Jenny, she mm-hmm. she was a nurse in Champagne, but she just moved to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so some of the things that she helped me out with, um, one of the first things I had to do was prepare for in vitro fertilization. Okay. So since they're chemotherapy, it might clear out my Your eggs. my eggs. Right. Yeah, so I had to go into the fertilization process just to retrieve the eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a point where my medication, I had been getting, I had been offered free medication through Walgreens mm-hmm. um, Alliance, I think that's what they're called. Yeah, so okay. they offered me free medication. So did they reach out to you? or No, you... my fertility group gave me a whole bunch of uh, organizations that gives out free medication because it's really expensive. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's not covered by your health insurance? Not the medication. Oh. The only thing covered by insurance for fertility was the pres- retrieval procedure. Mm-hmm. But basically nothing else is covered, which wow. is the bulk of the cost right, right. yeah um and the medication's really expensive so fortunately i had mine covered by walgreens mm-hmm. but the thing is there's this mistake in okay. the shipment and so we're missing um i didn't get the complete order that i was supposed mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. and so jenny got on the because at that point i was like screw it we're gonna cancel the fertilization like i'm not gonna go through it because i right. won't have the medication i right. have to get chemo asap it's not worth it but she comes over and she calls them and demands for them to figure out a way like we would pick it up from the pharmacy or something. Wow. So eventually, yeah, she demanded for them to like figure a way out. And so eventually we could just pick it up from the farm or local pharmacy because they had it available. Wow. And um, I mean, she had to really fight for that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And so at that point, I was like at the stage where I was so like fragile. Like if anything went wrong, I was like, oh, screw it. Like I don't want to do it. I quit. Mm-hmm. Um, but she fought for me on that front. And then... Mm-hmm. Once we did start for fertility, um, since she's a nurse and she knows how to administer shots, mm-hmm. 
Um, and she wouldn't be able to give it to me every day. So she actually right. taught Devin how to give me shots, <laughs> which was the most terrifying thing ever. Oh, right. Devin um, with a needle. Yeah. <laughs> with um, uh, Devin, did you have any clinical experience? Uh, zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was terrified. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Jenny taught him like the techniques and mm. properly how to clean everything and dispose mm. of needles. Mm. Um, so yeah, so thankful that she has that experience and, you know, the, um, persistence that, you know, is her personality. Yeah. Yeah. Devin, uh, how, how did you feel when you were giving the shots? I mean, (laughs) I, I don't know how to explain it, but I mean, never in my life would I have imagined giving anyone shots, (laughs) let alone my girlfriend. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. And it wasn't just, like, one, like, small shot. It was, like, four different shots. And, like, needles were various sizes. Mm -hmm. And one of them, uh, I forgot what it was called, but it was a blood thinner. And apparently it was a... Letrozole. Letrozole. Or, I forgot, yeah, something like that. (laughs) But apparently it's extremely painful, so... Yeah. burns. And the first time he gave the shot... (laughs) um, Because he was scared, I was scared, and he wanted to be gentle on me. So he went... Very, very, very slowly. But um, oh. first shot, first shot we started with was um, letrozole uh-huh. and the super painful one. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, so he's going extra slow. And so at first, I told him I was like, "Can you go slow?" And as soon as he started going slow, I was like, "Go faster, go faster!" Um, so yeah, so we had a huge learning curve, but by the end, he was um, a lot more consistent. I think. He gave like the least painful shots by the end. Wow. Um, wow. So yeah, so we had about two weeks of giving like our own shots. Mm-hmm. And even Jenny was telling me like some nurses don't do mixing. So with fertility, like the shots, you actually have to like take the saline solution and mix it yourself and then like mm. create your own doses. Right. Yeah. Because you have like every patient is, has like a unique mm-hmm. like medication set. Yeah. Um, yeah, so even like the mixing point, she's like, usually the pharmacy does this for us, so oh. nurses don't even do that. So we had to learn all oh, these wow, things, wow. watch like help help videos. Oh. Um, Did you about, YouTube? No, they gave us a website that oh. had like specifically for that medication for fertility. Wow, that's um, this, a lot of research. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then yeah, so we had about two weeks of doing that, but we had a lot of like nurse friends mm-hmm. and family. So my brother-in-law. Um, my friend that's a nurse at Lurie mm-hmm. Children's Hospital, mm-hmm. um, they all came and they all gave me shots at different times. And oh, wow. the final shot um, was like a, I forgot what it was called, like a release shot for the eggs. Okay. Um, but I had to get that in my butt. So oh. one of my nurse friends, <laughs> she she works in OBGYN, but yeah. she volunteered to give me my butt shot at the very end. It was really <laughs> awkward. It was the first time like anyone had ever seen my butt like that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, so she had to give me my butt shot, um, Mm -hmm. but she was super cool about it. Um, and it was actually kind of fun in the end, but Uh yeah. And so aside from fertility, um, what about your job? Uh, what happened there? Yeah. So, um, during the time I was doing my scans and tests, Mm -hmm. um, I told my boss, you know, I just got diagnosed with cancer and Mm -hmm. he was like, take all the time you need to mm, be wow. able to you know like go through the that. testing and figure yeah. all that out because you know when you're getting screened like mm. you can't tell them like oh i'm too busy to come in for that like right. if they schedule you you have to come in then so 
Um, he just told me, don't worry about your projects. Mm. You know, we'll take care of it. Mm. Uh, just let me know. Like, you know, I just gave him like a big sheet of just like everything he may need to know about mm. all my projects. And I would check mm. in with him every now and then. Mm. Um, but yeah, essentially like for the two weeks I was getting my tests and scans and all, mm -hmm. he, you know, and my project management team took care of everything for me. Wow. Um, and then I had to eventually face HR and figure out like disability yeah. leave and FMLA. Yeah. Um, but with that, I had 12 weeks of um, unpaid leave for FMLA. Mm. Um, and that can be either all at once or I can spread them out. And since all my treatments will take about nine months mm -hmm. and I have 12 weeks, you mm -hmm. know, I had to right. um, strategize how to yeah. spread them out. So, um, yeah, so I met with HR. We figured all that out. You know, on days of chemo, I'd take off. Um, and then when I have surgery and radiation, I'll take off bulk of my, the bulk of my time there. Mm -hmm. um, but I am able to work from home. Wow. I don't do my project management work because project management, you have to be more consistent. Mm -hmm. And with chemo, sometimes I'm out. Sometimes, you know, I there are unplanned days where mm -hmm. I can't work. And mm -hmm. that's kind of hard to do with these projects. Mm -hmm. And so they've actually shifted me over to a special, quote unquote, special projects role. Mm -hmm. um, and so I do a lot more like side administrative work and mm -hmm. marketing projects. Mm -hmm. um, all that I'm able to do from home, which is really fortunate. And yeah, they're really accommodating for you. Yeah, not all companies are able to do that. So I'm really fortunate that I have my company to be able to like right. release me from yeah. my daily duties. Um, I'm sure there was a big shock wave in my team right. for the first few weeks because um, there's another guy that had just left, so our team of five was down. Our team of six actually was down to three within two weeks. Yeah, so um, it yeah they probably took on a lot of work, but yeah they were able to cover for me and all the projects that I had been covering at that point. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and so uh, after after the whole fertility treatment, did you go straight into chemotherapy? Yeah, so after I took all my MRIs and CT scans. Um, and I visited a few other hospitals for second opinions as well. Mm. Um, until we were fully sure on my treatment plan. Right. Um, you know, we, yeah, I, did, I wasn't comfortable moving forward until I had like multiple second and third opinions saying mm -hmm. that they were, they agree with my treatment plan. Right. Um, and then I was okay with starting chemotherapy. Okay. And when you're getting your second opinion, um, is it often recommended for you to get second opinions in terms yes. of treatment? Okay. Yeah. So I think first of all, it um, like provides security to the patient. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like just one doctor, no matter how credible they are, mm -hmm. you know, you just always want to make sure, like double check and just feel good about your plan. Because mm -hmm. I think the first and foremost that's most important is that like you feel good about your treatment plan. Mm -hmm. If there's any sense of doubt, then like, I think the second opinion and third opinion really help like solidify, like help relieve that doubt. Mm -hmm. um, and then also, I think it was nice seeing like the doctors kind of like debate over what was the right one. Mm -hmm. So I met with Rush Hospital and also University of Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, and then the doctor at University of Chicago and my current oncologist, um, they went back and forth on whether I should start on chemotherapy or endocrine therapy first. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was nice because they listed out like all of their reasons mm. of why I should be starting with one or the other. And then those two doctors also took the different reasons to their tumor boards. Mm -hmm. um, and having the security of the tumor boards is even more helpful because you right. get like 
five to ten doctors in the room reviewing right. your case. Right. Um, but yeah, so after they took it to their tumor boards, they both came back together and was like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, it actually may be the best to go with chemotherapy first and not endocrine. Um, yeah, for, you know, the main reason why was just like quality of life. You know, with mm-hmm. endocrine, they said like your quality of life would be better. Mm-hmm. Um, and chemotherapy is pretty harsh. And mm-hmm. so, but then they're saying like with the grade and the staging that I'm at, mm-hmm. um, it would be best to go with um, chemotherapy. And also at that time, should I cut back until when I thought it was stage four? No, uh, that's fine. <laughs> uh, you want to give that story about yeah. your diagnosis and additional tests, right? Sure. Yeah. So um, I got my CT and bone scan first. Um, and then the CT scan actually showed that there was some activity in my neck, but mm. um, a neck as well as like breast and lymph node areas, and then also in my rib cage. Um, and so they, you know, after the CT scan, they're like, okay, there's a neck activity, but then that happens all the time. We right. won't be able to confirm until later. Right. So after the MRI and PET scans, a PET scan's actually where they show, you know, high glucose um, consumption mm-hmm. for cancerous cells, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the neck bone, they actually saw my C2. Um, cervical spine so they saw a lot of glucose activity there as well Mm. and they're like oh my gosh Um, you know that is like that's what we see in for cancer and so if it leaves a breast area and the lymph node area and it's in your it's moved to a bone or different organ it's metastatic it's stage four And that didn't register in my mind at first I was Mm. just like oh stage four it's just next stage whatever it's moved (laughs) Um, (laughs) Uh, and then once I talked to the oncologist, you know, and my cousins who are also doctors were on the phone with me, you know, they were kind of going over how severe it is. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's cancer severe, whatever mm-hmm. stage four is just n- another number from mm-hmm. stage three. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally when I went home and, you know, talked to my cousin who's also a doctor and did more research, I was like, oh my gosh, stage four metastatic cancer is not good. You know, right, right. it's, you know, incurable and the life expectancy doesn't look very good. Mm. Um, and at that point, like they can only treat you to elongate your life and, you know, like uphold your quality of life at that point, basically, like there's no cure. Um, and so that's when like it really, really, really hit me. And then I felt the sudden urge to, you know, just scrap all fertility, just Mm -hmm. get into treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, yeah, so that was my, I guess like biggest pivotal, most freak out moment. Um, and I think that was when like all of cancer had hit me like, oh my gosh, like you could mm. have some severe consequences in your yeah. life because of cancer and all that. So I think the realities really hit me then. Mm. Um, but then, uh, my friend Jay, he mm. reminded me like, you know, don't jump to conclusions yet. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know for sure if this is cancer. Mm. We need more information. Like, there's no need to freak out. Mm. Um, and then, you know, if you're running off of your fears, right. you cannot think logically. And so you have to right. just, like, calm down and breathe. So he helped me really just, like, step back, yeah. understand the realities of, you know, right. whether it's stage four, stage three, mm-hmm. you know, the realities of it. But then you need to calm down, and this is what we need to do next. So he helped me, like, kind of refocus and, like, move on to the next step, mm-hmm. which was meet with the neurosurgeon. Um, and luckily we took some more CT scans in the neurosurgeon mm-hmm. and he checked with, um, it was like three or four of the radiologists, mm-hmm. um, that 
we couldn't one couldn't take a biopsy because it was way too close and in like sensitive place on my spine Mm -hmm. and then also too they deduced that it was it didn't look like cancer Mm. it looked like um oh my gosh i'm blanking on the name right now fibrous dysplasia okay which they think is like a birth defect yeah um which is great because right. it's not <laughs> cancer. Right. It's a birth defect, I think. <laughs> so yeah. does that mean that what you thought was stage four is... Now back to stage three. Okay. Um, but the downside is we won't know for sure if it's cancer or not. Mm. Um, so that's kind of what we had to like throw up in the air. Like, Do we want to wait until we make sure that it's cancer? Mm-hmm. Or do we want to make like... Like, the next best decision. So, what we decided next was, you know, if we start on, treat it like stage three, Mm -hmm. um, and we go through chemotherapy, Mm -hmm. what if the chemo, well, we'll see if the chemotherapy also affects the tumor, if it's a tumor in your neck. And if that gets, you know, we took x-rays and all Mm -hmm. following chemotherapy, Mm -hmm. and if it changes in its size, or it's like, um, and just like what the scans showed, then... Like then it's cancer and we can switch over to stage four wow. treatment. But then chemo had been happening for a month. We mm-hmm. took scans. Mm-hmm. Nothing was changing. Wow. Still fibroid dysplasia. So, yes. um, yeah, we're going to keep monitoring it still. Right. Um, and so, yeah, we'll continue to monitor it mm-hmm. every month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll just treat it differently. I mean, I have to be careful just in case, like, there's, like, a bone right. crack or anything coming right. up. But um, neurosurgeon doesn't have any concerns about it yet. Oh, that's great. I was just going to say, um, in retrospect, uh, for that whole scenario, I really have to give credit to Jay for, um, you know, giving the advice that we really need to hear, which was to not freak out and not... Uh, run on fear because of course uh, this is gonna you know hearing that you have cancer is gonna hit you like a train mentally speaking so um, I remember there was a point where um, as far as the discussion of fertility went um, you know it's it's a very sensitive issue especially for Alice and her future and you know when it comes to um, you know her thoughts of you know having kids someday um, you know it's a really big decision and um, uh, the fact that um, there was a point where uh, you know, she was almost pressured into uh, jumping into stage four, um, mm. I guess, treatment and scrapping fertility, forgetting all that, you know, putting that uh, or prioritizing that higher than fertility without having all the, you know, all the answers that we needed. Mm. Um, when I look back on that, I, I almost get upset. And well, you know, like I said, I'm grateful for Jay for telling us uh, what we needed to hear. But I almost get upset thinking that um, we could have made an awfully rat like a rash decision, you know, just because, uh, based on scans that suggested, but not necessarily, but it didn't necessarily confirm stage four cancer, Mm -hmm. uh, just on suggestions, you know, I get that time is a sensitive issue, but knowing that we didn't have all the answers yet, things could have turned out pretty bad, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. So shout out to Jay. Thank you for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then also my oncologist was really good about like, she stood firm in her treatment um, decisions. Mm. And then even with fertility, like even if we were in stage four, she would have advocated for that fertility mm. option. Because mm. um, for her, like I mentioned when I first got diagnosed, like when I was meeting with her, I mentioned that, mm-hmm. you know, I 
my future I did imagine having kids and yeah. so she knew that that was important for me mm -hmm. um, made sure that was one of the first things we got started on mm -hmm. um, and even when everyone was freaking out about like making like jumping into chemo right away she was like no the cancer will not jump <laughs> you know like get any bigger in the next two weeks right. um, you have time even if it's the most aggressive form mm -hmm. like you have time mm -hmm. to do fertility mm -hmm. and I would, would much rather you preserve your future plans mm -hmm. Because cancer already takes away so much of, you know, your lifestyle. Right. And for your example. idea of who you want to be in the yeah. future and your exactly. plans. Right? Mm -hmm. And then already, like, I'll be on menopause for a very long time. No. Potentially for the rest of my life. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So even, like, that, like, already I know my future is going to be affected. Mm -hmm. So to preserve as much as I can, I think mm -hmm. that's really good. So, like, I've read about a few other people that don't even give get the option of or aren't even like shared the option of starting fertility or mm -hmm. don't have the financial resources for mm -hmm. it um but there are resources out there like i mentioned the walgreens alliance mm -hmm. pharmacy and then also live strong provides medication like there are mm -hmm. options out there mm -hmm. um and then like my fertility center if i didn't have the insurance that i did they would have offered financing as well mm -hmm. so it's expensive right. but there's still options out there um right and so I think that was like really big. I'm so glad that I did bring up that like I wanted kids in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah. Had that conversation with my boyfriend. Like, <laughs> so we had to talk about how to have kids. Like, <laughs> they were like the options were like in vitro, surrogacy, adoption. Right. So like, you know, it's not that common conversation you would ever have with a boyfriend. Well, you wouldn't but, expect um, it. No, but then I mean, like, it's Devin's something that we had to put on the right? table. Yeah. You're 23. Yeah, I am 23. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> didn't think I'd be talking about that stuff at this age. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so did you appreciate your oncologist kind of staying very firm with the treatment plan? Um, yes. Okay. And I mean, did you really look to her as one of, a piece of support in your life? In yeah. Terms of treatment? Because not only medically, like she was emotionally very available. Mm. Um, yeah, she would. She knew that I came from a place where I knew nothing about breast cancer. Mm. So the way she explained everything mm -hmm. was very easy to um approach like she would write things down for me and draw figures and mm -hmm. all so um you know the way she like educated me i never felt demeaned or anything i felt very cared for mm -hmm. emotionally she made sure that i had like support from my family from devin my friends mm -hmm. um yeah so she was a pretty big like foundation of all this like she knew how to um like there was a point where uh, we were going over treatment options. Mm. My medical family members were on the phone. Mm. Um, like my friends and my family, a few of my friends and family were in the room with me. Mm. Um, and she was so good at uh, like calming down the room. Mm. So even though there were a lot of like heightened questions and right. concerns, like right. she knew exactly how to dress them in a like calm way, mm. um, was very confident, was very, uh, what's the word? Eloquent. Right, mm. she knew exactly like articulate. how. Yeah, she was very articulate. That's a good mm. word. So she's really articulate, um, and so yeah, so it gave me a lot of confidence in her, mm. um, and also gave like my family and cousins and my friends and him a lot of confidence in her as well. Mm. Um, so I'm really thankful for her. All right. Uh, so going back to the treatments, um, when did you start your chemotherapy? At the end of July. At the end of July. So, so I got my diagnosis at the on the 1st of July. Okay. And then started chemo at the end of July. 
Wow. Um, July 23rd. Yeah, and so one of the questions that we had was, uh, did you know your chemotherapy agents like prior to starting chemotherapy? Or did you just trust an oncologist and say, just put whatever you need in me? Uh, no, they fully educated me on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, they told me my exact treatment plan. Mm-hmm. Um, everything from chemo to surgery, radiation, mm-hmm. and endocrine therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a full day training on chemotherapy. Wow. Um, so I sat down with my nurse and we spent hours talking about what the drugs do, mm-hmm. um, what the symptoms will be, mm-hmm. you know, all the different side effects that I could possibly have and mm-hmm. how to, you know, um, minimize those symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so we got a full educational session mm. on chemotherapy. So we never went in blind. Mm. I knew fully like what to expect. Mm. Um, yeah, so they make yeah. sure that you're not going in blind at all. Yeah, and follow-up question to that is, uh, were you aware of like the costs of the chemotherapies? Yeah, so, um, so with my insurance, I actually have, um, what is it called, PPO. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it has pretty good, pretty good deductible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew that my overall medical costs wouldn't be too terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, so with chemotherapy, so I didn't go in knowing exactly how much it would cost, but then um, with the bills coming out, it's only like a few hundred dollars per session. So oh, wow. it's not bad. But if yeah. I had something like HMO right. and everything's out of pocket, that right. would have been really hard to yeah it would have been really expensive and really hard to cover Mm -hmm. um so i'm really fortunate because my enrollment period actually ended at the end of june okay and i had a hunch yeah (laughs) you know i was like maybe i should switch over to ppo and just you know pay you know if it's not cancer then i just pay a little more Mm -hmm. um but i was originally on hmo and i'm so thankful i didn't stay Mm. on hmo Mm. yeah and so after your training period uh what was your first chemotherapy like um, I think I was a little more excited than I should have been. <laughs> I think most people are usually nervous, but I went in and I was like looking at my nurse. She was like about to like access my port and I'm like, what are you doing now? Why are we doing this? Um, and I think she was a little weirded out cause most people come in they're like, oh, I don't want to do yeah, this. And they're like, yeah. you know, like heart rate's high, but I'm just right. like, what? <laughs> and, um, so yeah, so I got like my port access for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a name for your port? <laughs> you named your port? We named their port Natalie Portman. Every time I got my port accessed, um, I would say, oh, let's stab Natalie Portman. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Natalie Portman, but it's just funny. It's like, <laughs> We're talking black swan, Natalie Portman. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's really funny. Um, but yeah, so first experience was not bad i think mm-hmm. like i was asking a gazillion questions to my nurse mm-hmm. um and you know they're pretty like like i think the nurses really like talking to you because you're there for like three four hours at a time mm-hmm. so, like they build up a relationship with you mm-hmm. and i asked them questions about like everything so the very first chemo i got um the first regimen i was on was two drugs adrenomycin and cytosan mm-hmm. adrenomycin is uh known as the red devil mm. and so because when you look at it, it comes in this like huge syringe um <laughs> and it's it looks like red jello wow. like the color of it. it's vibrant red um and then it's known to make your pee turn a little bit red too mm. um so like <laughs> i was weird and i was like as soon as i got it i had to go to the bathroom i was so excited to see my red my pee red <laughs> 
it turns like, out more of like a peachy color but um uh, it's like when they tell you that if you eat asparagus or a whole lot of asparagus it turns green you know like right. you can or, it that asparagus. or it smells bad it smells bad yeah yeah um, you get excited about your period <laughs> The things cancer treatments do, yeah. Um, yeah, and then like the pre-medications that I was getting, like, um, you know, you have to communicate with them every time they give you a new drug because mm. they want to know like if you get an allergic reaction mm. or whatnot. Um, so like dexamethadrone, like it's a steroid. So when I was getting mm. that, I started. I think they're dripping it too fast, and mm. so I felt like my eyeballs were about to pop out of my head. Like, Ooh, wow. you know, it was it was a little too strong for me, yeah. so they had to slow down the dose and things like that. I just had to communicate, but mm-hmm. I wasn't scared. I was like so excited i was like oh yeah i'm yeah. feeling a tingling sensation what's happening oh, um, yeah so i was weird i was not a typical cancer patient, I feel like. um, why are you so happy <laughs> and did you did you go to the sessions by yourself no um the first one i went with was it just you Devin? I think yeah, the very first one so. was just you and then i had a few friends and following sessions that wanted to come visit okay um but yeah most of the time it's Devin. Oh, Devin. Every time. MVP <laughs> Devin. I mean, uh, what prompted you to go with her? Did you just want to be there to support her? And... Uh, yeah, support. And uh, I remember hearing, uh, I think one of the nurses said that uh, Alice shouldn't be driving herself mm. like after these treatments. So, I mean, I, I went in with her and then I mean, the treatments were kind of long. So we were just watching TV and... Mm doing some stuff on the side but mm-hmm. yeah because i knew she like couldn't drive herself and she wouldn't be very mobile after her treatment mm-hmm. so i yeah i came along with her to help her out and then i was on medication too so i was mm-hmm. on different ones like olanzapine i was an ativan at some point mm-hmm. <laughs> um a lot of those make you like really drowsy right. so i can't drive myself um so yeah so i'd come in like pretty sleepy to chemo every session (laughs) like one time i had two of my friends come and i barely could stay awake (laughs) like they're trying to have conversation with me and i was like passed out for most of it Mm. with the different medications going inside you do you have anything that's memorable kind of like something that's just really weird cravings or um anything like that Mm. Well, oh, at the very beginning, the mm-hmm. first few chemos, I think I had the most food aversions. Mm-hmm. Um, so chemotherapy, like with dreamycin and cytosan, mm-hmm. they like wipe out a lot of your appetite. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had a whiteboard going of all the things I couldn't eat, which oh, wow. ended up being a very long list at first. It was like beef, shrimp, mm-hmm. uh, like porridge. Um, and so like dinners were kind of tough because everything, like people, would, my mom and my sister would try to make so much food for me but I could only eat like like 10% of what they were making. Uh, and I felt so bad always. Um, but I knew they, you know, out of love they were trying and they mm-hmm. weren't like offended by me not eating anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the cravings that I ended up having, like there's a point where I really wanted a tuna salad sandwich <laughs> and a warm croissant. And I was like, wow. like Devin, do you remember when that happened? Oh, yeah. I do. Um, <laughs> I, do. <laughs> I like, was like ravenous. I was like, we need tuna now. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then we eventually got a can of tuna. His Devin's mom brought over some mini croissants, and oh, like nice. it was heavenly when I ate it. I have never eaten anything that caused like such a, like a serotonin effect, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah, to this day, I think like even though it's a simple sandwich, it's like the right. best thing I've ever eaten in my life. 
like that. And did you enjoy tuna sandwich on a croissant before? Uh, it was okay. You know, like <laughs> that one time. Was, yeah, but like all just all of a sudden, I was like, I need a tuna salad sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then my sister bought these like super fancy French pickles to go in it too, and I was like, the yeah. most perfect thing ever. Mm. Um, and other cravings, I eat a lot of like I liked pickles, like mm. really salty things. I liked for a while. Mm. Um, and then when I switched over to Taxol. I've been eating a lot of watermelon and cucumbers. Mm. Are my two favorite things, like cold, crunchy, sweet things. Mm. And so for Devin, you, did you just have to deliver a lot of these foods just out of nowhere? Uh, for myself, I think uh, Alice's mom provided a lot of these foods. Okay. It was kind of difficult at first, like letting her know like what foods would be good for her and like what could fit her cravings because yeah. it was just like unpredictable and like a lot of things we read online mm -hmm. just it's just like so many different things mm -hmm. so many different foods that uh, were not going to be good for her or like could affect her in weird ways but even though they're like superfoods right yeah. yeah yeah and like <laughs> one example was soy for some reason that was like a lot of the internet articles we read and like that would have been like not good for her mm. but like we met with nutritionists and they're like yeah don't believe those like <laughs> the internet can say different things don't believe everything you read on yeah <laughs> yeah definitely don't the internet is the worst place ever for a cancer patient oh, <laughs> it definitely is yeah. and cancer supporters for sure yeah oh, wow i mean so where did you rely heavily on your nutritionist uh for your diet mm -hmm. so uh, I met with like multiple dietitians mm. uh, and a lot of them said basically for chemotherapy, just mm -hmm. eat healthy. Mm -hmm. The main objective is to keep your, uh, your weight up, mm. uh, even though I have no problem with that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually gaining weight. Um, but yeah, so the main objective was to keep your weight up mm -hmm. um, and just eat generally healthier, mm -hmm. avoid foods that have high... Um, like microbial potential like microbial mm -hmm. issues so like sushi mm -hmm. uh deli meats mm -hmm. oh i had a public sandwich yesterday um <laughs> just avoid doesn't mean yeah. <laughs> just be eat with caution like honey for yeah. um botulism um mm -hmm. yeah so just be cautious of those and then just eat like overall healthy like plant-based diet um balanced meats mm -hmm. avoid like fried foods if possible because um, at that time i had like a thinner stomach lining so mm. like highly acidic spicy mm. fatty foods would irritate it right um so yeah so i think just like in the end it was just trial and error of what i was able to eat and now now that i'm on taxol mm -hmm. um able to eat almost anything you said you had weird like weird cravings right mm -hmm. uh, did that go away when you switched to medication uh, yeah so well i think for the AC treatment at Dreamycin Cytosan. Mm -hmm. um, like, I think every day was a different craving. <laughs> <laughs> like, there was, hard. like, coconut water. Yeah, it was hard to keep up with. Um, yeah, so I think every day was, like, a different craving. And then when I switched over to Taxol, mm -hmm. I didn't have any insane cravings anymore. Mm -hmm. um, just, like, average girl cravings. <laughs> like, right. yesterday I really wanted Taco Bell because <laughs> it sounded really good. Um, I don't think there's, like, a nutritional reason why I'm craving these. I just felt like it. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, just nothing out of the ordinary, like, girl cravings. Mm. Well, 
I think I think so. One of the things that you kind of see a lot on movies is that、uh, cancer patients have, first of all, lose all their hairs and just in front of the toilet a lot, just throwing up.、Uh, is that something that you also went through as a side effect?、Mm-hmm. So the very first, after the first chemo treatment, I actually, well, I don't think we were very smart. We As soon as I left my chemo treatment session, we went straight to Andy's Custard and got a big boat of ice cream.、Um, and then we went to the movie theaters and watched, was it Toy Story 4? It was. It was Toy Story 4. And movie theaters are notorious for being like, disgustingly filthy.、Um, but I felt good after、yeah. chemo, and I was like, yeah, like, I can live my life normally. I have a day off from work,、oh, I can、boy. go watch a movie. Um, but then we got home that night and I started violently like puking and everything.、Um, and also, like any bodily fluids that come out of you have a little bit of like the chemo medication in it and it can be dangerous for other people. So, as soon as I like puked, I was like, no one touch it. Everyone stay back.、Um, but yeah, I was like nauseous, I had headaches, and it was terrible.、Um, And so that was like the only day where I had like the classic in the movies where you see like me heaving over the toilet and all. Yeah, yeah. But after that, I've never had that、oh, symptom、wow. because、um, there, there's medication that they give you that、oh. I should have taken、yeah. you know, to curb the nausea.、Um, Wait, actually, there was one other time where you puked. So we were eating, <laughs> and、oh. I think we were eating lunch and just normally eating. And then suddenly Alice gives me a, like, just a little look. Like, uh oh, kind of look. And then she gets up from her chair and she just projectile vomits all across <laughs> the kitchen. And it, it, it shot at least 10 feet away. No, what?、Oh, yeah, that, that was the last time.、Though. I didn't feel nauseous or anything. It just、yeah. like was. You're just laughing about it. <laughs> yeah, I was just like feeling normal eating. I must have like eaten too fast or something. And like that mixed with like a little bit of nausea that's always been overhanging、um, through chemo.、Um, But yeah, it's true. I projectile vomited like 10 <laughs> feet ahead. I was、God. in the dining room from one end, and it reached all the way to the stairs that are like a good 10 feet、yeah. away on the other side of the dining table.、Um, and Devin and I just stood there frozen. Like, What do we do? There's vomit everywhere.、Um, we took, we had this like bleach spray. We sprayed it everywhere. We sprayed our seat cushions, forgetting that it was bleach and our,、uh, bleached、oh no. our seat cushions. But it's okay, we got new ones. It was due time for us to change it. Those red ones we had. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had that for like five, ten years. They to、um, but yeah.、Nice. What was the question before that? Media. Um, yeah, just kind of the side effects because movies usually portray like losing all、uh-huh. the hairs and just kind of throwing up a lot. And so your experience with、yeah. that in terms of chemotherapy. Yeah, so a lot of times, like not heaving over a toilet or anything,、mm-hmm. like felt nausea.、Mm-hmm. Um, it was especially the worst in the beginning. Beginning, but then、um, I think when you communicate with the pharmacist and、mm-hmm. your oncologist, they prescribe medication that's customized to you. Oh, wow. Yeah, so,、um, so I started off with Pepsid and、um, Zofran. Zofran? Zofran. <laughs> no, no, not Zofran. It was another one. It was Zofran plus something else. So basically, they prescribed me like general anti nausea medication. One of them was not working and it was like、mm. making me feel terrible. So they、um, switched me over to olanzapine,、mm. which, is, which can also be used for like antidepressants. But for me, it's for anti nausea.、Mm-hmm. Um, and it would usually make me fall asleep at night, but it worked like a charm. Like,、wow. never felt major nausea.、Um, and then, like any other symptom I would bring up, and you know, they would 
explained to me like what to use. So like I started getting migraines and they're like, oh, use Advil instead of Tylenol. Mm-hmm. And just like a lot of other side effects. So the only other major one I could think of that you mentioned was the hair loss. Mm-hmm. So I knew it was coming. And about, I think after the second chemo treatment, the mm-hmm. first one I had no problems. My hair was all there. Mm-hmm. We actually, I actually got a haircut. Mm-hmm. My boyfriend, brother, my, uh, my sister came over and they gave me like a fun haircut and we like <laughs> cut it all different hairstyles and then eventually we gave myself a mohawk mm. but before that after the second session I started losing clumps of my hair so I was in the shower the next day after chemo and as I was brushing my fingers through my hair mm-hmm. I pulled out a clump of my hair like literally wow. it was a whole handful um, it wasn't everything all at once mm-hmm. but I lost a lot of hair in that shower I was freaking out I was like like <laughs> girls do this disgusting thing where like if hair comes out during the right. shower they like stick it on the shower walls <laughs> um but i did exactly that and it was like a like the starry night yeah. you know <laughs> hair yeah, it was okay. disgusting um so from that we like decided to cut my hair a little bit and like give myself cool hairstyles but mm-hmm. by like i think session four all mm-hmm. my hair is gone mm-hmm. luckily some people lose their eyebrows and their eyelashes Mine stayed on, so I have somewhat of a normal-looking face still. And then other symptoms, typically people get mouth sores. Mm. Um, luckily, I only had mouth sores once, and it was like a teeny tiny little spot. Um, but some people have it really severe where like they can't even chew on things. So I got it very lucky where I didn't get any mouth sores, and I still don't have any mouth sores. Mm. Um, but the next symptom I should be looking out for potentially is neuropathy. Mm. So... I'm on Taxil right now, and one of the common side effects is neuropathy, where you lose sensation in your fingers, mm-hmm. extremities. And so to prevent that, we have these like super cold gloves. We stick them in the freezer overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the day of, 15 minutes before I get my uh, chemo medication, I have to put on these icy cold gloves and mm-hmm. icy cold socks, um, and I have to tolerate that for like the hour while the drugs are being administered. Mm-hmm. It's terrible because my hands are always cold anyways. I have a low cold tolerance. And so only once I've been able to keep them on for the entire duration. Otherwise, I usually kick them off because I hate them and they're terrible. (laughs) But you know, a little bit's better than none. I felt a little bit of neuropathy, like a little bit of tingling, especially my left side, my left fingers and my left Mm. leg. But nothing has been sticking long term yet. And so with the cold gloves, we're trying to prevent it from being like a chronic issue. Right. And that was something that the healthcare providers gave you advice to just kind of get to some cold gloves and Mm -hmm. to put them on while you're having chemotherapy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, How are you feeling right now? I'm feeling great right now. Right. I'm five cycles into Taxol. Mm -hmm. And Taxol was much easier, is is a much easier drug to tolerate than ACE the adrenomycin cytosan mm-hmm. and so the first few i think cycles i like had a, a little bit of a harder time because i was transitioning into it mm-hmm. they gave me a lot of benadryl mm. with it so i think i had a hard time like adjusting and like weaning off of the benadryl mm-hmm. but now that i'm five cycles in usually i have a hard time on the day of mm. i usually sleep for the duration of the day mm-hmm. then i mean i had chemo yesterday and oh. i'm here talking and i feel you know, full of energy, back yeah, to normal. Yeah. So yeah, so I think like my body adjusts to the medication. Like once I switch over to a new medication, but yeah, I feel great. Not all people feel like this. My doctor tells me I'm tolerating chemo really well. Right. 
but there's some people that have like a really hard time and have almost all the symptoms that mm-hmm. are, you know, that advice that they may get. So I got really lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm able to go to the gym pretty often too because Devin likes going to the gym every day. <laughs> you know, it's motivation for me to go as well. And so right. to stay physically active helps right. with recovery week after week. Right. And then after dinner, we try going for walks um, mm-hmm. just for like 20, 30 minutes. Yeah, because I feel like every time I'm more physically active, mm-hmm. the faster I recover. And mm-hmm. luckily, like my like white and red blood cells and my new nebulastas have mm-hmm. been saying, like in an acceptable range. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, you know, physical activity really helps with that. So, wow. yeah, so I've been really fortunate. Yeah. And I mean, it seems like aside from the chemo treatment, you have a relatively normal life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And- so I think one thing that is kind of very apparent throughout this interview and podcast is that you seem to have a very optimistic personality. Um, I think someone, if you're 26 and you, you're diagnosed with breast cancer and you're going through all this treatment, it, it could feel like the world is kind of coming down on you and coming around you. And it seems to me, as we we're talking across the table, that you are completely accepted it. Um, and it's just kind of very energetic about it. I mean, like, what what keeps you up and about and very optimistic? Mm-hmm. I would say before I go into that, yeah, it's not not normal to mm. have really low moments. I've definitely had moments where I thought I'm, I was gonna die. You know, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, it's all over. Mm-hmm. You know, I've tried to push people away because I'm like, I'm just gonna be a burden on them because mm. my medical issues are gonna. Um, take over my life and I don't want people you know I don't want it to affect other people's lives and I'd I'd rather contain it to myself so Mm -hmm. there have definitely been moments where like emotionally it's really hard Mm. and Devin has definitely seen (laughs) I think he's seen every crash and burn I've had Um, but I think he's also one of the reasons why like I get back up like the people around me I have such Mm -hmm. a strong support system like my family has been nothing but amazing Mm -hmm. at raising me back up Mm-hmm. Um, keeping me motivated, um, mm-hmm. making sure I have everything I need. So like my family, when everything logistically was the toughest and mm-hmm. I felt very overwhelmed, like my brother and my sister mm-hmm. stepped in and took over basically all the logistics and made sure I had more than enough resources mm-hmm. necessary, you know, to be able to go logistical process smoothly. Mm-hmm. And then, so yeah, so why I'm able to say it's so positive, like I think I really have a strong support system. Like I have mm. a Facebook group mm. where I can vent a lot mm. of what's happening. Mm. And then people like write so many comments, like um, really encouraging things. Um, and just like, I feel like I have an army behind me, mm-hmm. standing beside me. So I never feel alone mm-hmm. exactly. Like there's a certain point where I do feel alone because no one's going through what I am going through. Mm-hmm. But like essentially I feel like an army supporting me mm. and then also like a pretty like strong faith in Christ so mm. I'm a strong Christian and I feel like having a strong faith in that like there's nothing physical that could really discourage me mm-hmm. um, as much as it takes away from like my life here mm. and I feel like it's unfair sometimes mm. um, essentially I have like a greater hope so like if I have my eyes set on that it's mm-hmm. it's more encouraging than like looking constantly at like what I don't have mm-hmm. versus like what I you know, live for in the end. So yeah, I think I'm very, very blessed and fortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, not everyone has a support system like I do, you know, even just within our family, like I know I have such a strong foundation. So 
yeah, I think the fact that like I never feel alone. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and then there's also another funny one. So my brother sent me this Instagram page called the Cancer Patient. <laughs> um, and so it's just like this person that, you know, posts like memes about cancer. Oh, wow. um, and then also like discussion topics on Instagram stories. And like, mm-hmm. it's a whole bunch of cancer people venting and like making <laughs> jokes about cancer. Yeah. Which like for me, I love making dark cancer jokes like for a while i would like play this like cancer card like if pe- yeah. if i was like if i wasn't getting what i wanted be a brand and be like well i have cancer you can't do that to me um just making light of it yeah, and so yeah, this whole yeah. instagram page is just like all about like people making light of their dark 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 cancer mm-hmm. um and so that's like another way for me that i can just like never feel alone like invent right. to right. um and it's great i love communities like mm-hmm. that yeah <laughs> do you want to plug in the cancer instagram yeah it's literally called the cancer patient okay (laughs) um and so for anyone listening you can go and check it out if any of you guys are just going through cancer treatment maybe it's a great place to vent and just Mm -hmm. find a community and it's also um caretakers too a lot of caretakers on there okay Okay. well just kind of looking out uh do you have any advice for anyone who uh, who may be in the beginning stages of maybe just finding out they have cancer or breast mm-hmm. cancer or anything like that yeah i would say them the hardest and most terrible part is right after diagnosis mm-hmm. and before you start treatment because mm-hmm. that's where the logistical nightmare is mm-hmm. um, and that's where i needed the most help both you know logistically but also emotionally because mm-hmm. at that point everything's moving so quickly mm-hmm. it's really hard to organize your thoughts mm-hmm. and the paperwork Mm. and trying to figure out like what the best things are for you like mm. legally as well right so i think for me like i ha- i always call them my power team i was <laughs> like of the day there'd be different people coming to help me yeah um so i think just like it takes a lot to delegate mm-hmm. the help because mm-hmm. at some point sometimes i was like you know i'm the only person that understands all this like no one can help me but in reality like people want to help you and as long as you sit them down for 30 minutes and like explain to them this is how you can help me Mm. then they take off like my brother took off like with all the legal aspects of everything my sister was like my secretary and like Mm. collected all documentation um my boyfriend was like like my literal in-person secretary (laughs) and like take notes for me at doctor's appointments and Mm. you know just having that help was um so incredible and so helpful but yeah that i would say the beginning stages are the hardest part and it feels like your world's gonna collapse Mm -hmm. like my brother mentioned before not to make any rash decisions out of Mm -hmm. fear not to quit on anything because yeah like because so many things are crashing down on you you feel like you know i have cancer what more is there in life to look forward towards but there's so much and there are a lot of resources out there you just sometimes you just have to go out and find it Mm -hmm. or your doctors may know of it but they not may not have brought it up so as long as you communicate your concerns and your problems like they will have resources for you mm-hmm. and so yes yeah, so like every person i talked to i would kind of just like talk about my concerns of the day and mm-hmm. a lot of them would have resources i think in the end like you have to just let go and let people help you mm-hmm. and all you should be caring about is your medical you know your medical concerns at that point getting yourself from one appointment to the next mm-hmm. and having other people taking care of things for you mm-hmm. i think that's the best thing you could do great advice so one of the things that i know personally is you have a instagram right Mm -hmm. Uh, where you kind of lay out your story about um, what you're doing how you're going through it and 
you want to plug that in? Yeah, so my Instagram handle for that page is Moonwalking TC. TC yeah. stands for through cancer. Mm-hmm. And it's associated with the Facebook page as well, which mm-hmm. is closed. But I mean, if you would want to be a part of that Facebook group, just uh, I think you just have to send in a request to join. Okay. The Facebook group is called Moonwalking Through Cancer. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll prompt you with two questions. Just say yeah. you heard about it through the podcast. Yeah. Otherwise, if you're a complete stranger, we'll, <laughs> we'll decline you. <laughs> But yeah, just I have a Facebook page and Instagram handle, and mm. if you'd like to follow along, request and love to share the story with you. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode. This would not be possible without the support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com, where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, or episode suggestions, please submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relationship is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Views and opinions are their own and do not represent any organization. Thank you.